I mean, it's pretty amazing in, in a positive way, I think, for me to bring someone into this world and share the values that I hold dear about inclusivity, about diversity, about wanting this child to travel the world, have different experiences, not be insular. And of course, those are my values, but within that provide opportunities to learn through reading, through experience in real life, and hopefully being making educated decisions based on that and having a, a, a wider view and, and an empathy for lots of different types of people that inform his, it's a boy, worldview and and you know contribute to him being a great person and and therefore contribute to his community and society in whatever way hello and welcome to another episode of ad with jason duane smith the world around us is, well, different. We're living in a time that tests all of our boundaries and beliefs. It's not always easy. And sometimes, talking about ads is the last thing any of us want to do. Ad blocking is a podcast, slash, maybe a safe space, where real people, real marketers, talk about everything but advertising. Stories of growing up, coming out, falling down, and looking in. Underneath it all, we're all just humans. For my next discussion, I sit down with one of my best friends and personal inspirations, Nikki Deku, SVP Managing Director of Brand Strategy at Horizon Media. Nikki and I share a bond that goes well beyond advertising. I took a moment to talk about our personal stories and opinions on everything from growing up on a farm, bringing a new child into the unknown of 2021, to the power of a good coach. Nikki's a special person, and I hope our ad industry gains as much inspiration from our conversation as I did. And with that, let's dive in. So this year I've gone on a hunt and I was texting him because a lot of hunting is just sitting and waiting. So I was just texting him <laughs> while I was sitting there and He's like, hey, why don't I come join you on a hunt this year? So we met up once and kind of got out. And at the end of it, Nikki, he's like, um, hey, I'd like for you to join me on this uh, deer camp, this deer camp hunt. It's like a couple's weekend. And I'm like, that sounds kind of interesting. Like, I've never really wanted to, I'm like, I've been curious about hunting deer, but it hasn't been at the top of my list. So that seemed like that could be interesting. Let me check it out, especially with COVID and social distancing and, and my wife and even me, let me just kind of see what the deal is. But he was really clear with me that it was like a spiritual weekend. So you see where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. So it was definitely like Midwest Bible belt kind of weekend. Right. Mm -hmm. But I appreciated the fact that he wasn't trying to like, you know, lure me in. He was just like, this is what it is. Like, I think it'd be great if you came, but Hey man, this is definitely, you know, kind of your choice preference kind of thing. Like he, it wasn't like he was trying to recruit me for it. He's just like, Hey, listen, I think we've established a cool relationship. If you're into it, great. If not, no sweat. So I kind of spent time thinking about it and I went back and forth with my wife 
And I'm like, man, let's let's just let's just go see. I'm like, I'm really curious because with everything going on with like the fact that we're even debating pro-choice, like that that can possibly a woman being able to decide what she wants for her life being possibly criminal, you know? Like last week, it really messed up my week thinking about that. And I told my wife, I'm like, I want to go on this weekend because I need to understand this side of the, the country. I I need to see these people, not just on Fox News, not just with the rhetoric of us versus them. Like, I want to understand and see the real people with this mindset. So, yeah, for better or for worse, man, you know, we spent, you know, two days in the wilderness of Michigan, uh, <laughs> very, very red state. Um, I mean, Bibles next to our bed, um, singing church songs. I mean, it was, it was, it was like we were in some type of vice undercover weekend. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Yeah, that was, that was kind of my weekend, but it's kind of like a good segue into like us chatting, man. Like when I reached out to you, I told you, like, I'm really, really curious about like my friends, people that I care about. And I think people that are just thoughtful about just what's happening in our world. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of working on this concept for this podcast or some type of audio experience where people that work in our ad industry can not talk about ads, can cannot talk about their work all the time or, you know, winning, losing, changing business, you know, really just talking about real stuff, things that we're experiencing and things that we're thinking about whether it be during COVID, pre-COVID, or, or completely unrelated to it, it feels like certainly for the last three and a half years, our country has been really sort of reflecting on who we are, what we believe in, how we stand together or stand apart, um, and learning a lot about ourselves. So I really love you as a friend. You know that. I appreciate how you think and what you sort of bring to our world. And I wanted to maybe just kind of spend some time talking to you about some things that have maybe been a part of your reflection this year and maybe beyond. Are you game for it? Yeah, yeah, here we go. Jump <laughs> <laughs> right into the deep end. I have so many thoughts going on. <laughs> well, you know, part of it is like, let's, you know, I want this to be just free flowing, you know, and, but I, I did start with just a couple of structured questions and we don't have to go through them at all, but at least it'll help us kind of at least break the ice a little bit. And, and then let's just, let's just chat, you know, like we always do. And, and maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll start us with something, Nikki, I've been asking myself every single day. I don't think I wake up without this either consciously or subconsciously on my mind, which is like, how have I changed or grown over the course of this year? And sometimes the answer is clear and sometimes it's like, I'm learning for the first time. So I, I love to ask you the same question, Nikki, if you were to think and kind of articulate how this year has impacted you, I love to hear how you changed or grown over the course of what has become a very interesting 2020. Yeah. Yes. It's a big question. Could probably go in, in many different directions. Um, I mean, I think probably similar to what a lot of people have talked about, you know, I have experienced, I, 
really that it really kind of because of the time kind of inside or quarantined and just moving around a lot less I'm someone who typically would have been on a lot of trips and been out and about in New York City and um, I think that it has dialed things up and dialed things down you know and so that just kind of shifts your perspective on on what you're focused on you know, from family to society, political landscapes that you just talked about that we can't, can't ignore. Um, uh, I also made an enormous life decision, as you know. So I have grown literally <laughs> um, as I decided to be a single mother by choice in January. <laughs> so that really kicked off the year. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were, you know, kind of hiccups around that as it relates COVID, but was ultimately successful. Um, so I uh, also am pregnant in quarantine. Wow. And I think that also has like shifted just my perspective and things that I'm focused on and I'm buying an apartment. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, for me, things that I was planning on, but then this year has really been focused on kind of myself to be honest, but also, you know, I'm someone who is deeply affected by a lot that's going on in society, in politics, which I don't think you can separate. Um, and how that affects my life choices, but also the fact that I'm bringing a life into the world, right? So there's a, for me, I have a level of anxiety that same as you described about this us versus them. And, and I, I also appreciate wanting to understand but I also think it's really systemic and I don't even know that it's like on a personal level with people it's these systems in place and wanting to have power and control and I think that's a really challenging thing to break and I admire your openness to different experiences and I think that's hugely important but I also think there's just a power game at the top that almost is outside of all of that, that is, you know, 400 plus years old, that, mm -hmm. that is, that is a real challenge. So anywho, I kind of digress, but, you know, for me, there've been a lot of significant life changes. And even compared to my life in New York over the past eight years, um, and it's really just been kind of probably focused a little bit more inward, but also how does that manifest outward? And for me, it's like, I fight anxiety through like breathing, but also through doing. So like, okay, what can I do today? Make calls, text, talk to my family and friends, like get outside, get involved. Um, and then, you know, kind of work through the significant life changes that I'm going through. Well, it's a little off track, but I really think it's worth talking about. Like I, you said something about, well, first things first, congratulations on so many new things happening in a year that has presented some challenges to a lot of people. So that speaks volumes about your bravery in the face of some challenging times. It's tough to really make those big decisions uh, with everything that's going on. But you said something to me that I thought was really curious about bringing a new child into this world. And then yeah. this concept of like, Yes, there are some individual decisions that have impacted 2020, but there are some very legacy-based systems in play. So yeah. 
you know, I just, I was just really curious about how you thought about bringing a new child into these new, like into these systems, you know, like, what is that? Look, because a lot of it, like if I built on it, it's like a lot of what I learned that this weekend that I spent with this very interesting rural sort of religious community is that, you know, there was a, there was a nine-year-old boy on, no, no, there was a 12-year-old boy on the trip who began hunting when he was nine. Yeah. And, and then as we were singing some of these church songs, he knew like every song. And all I kept thinking about was his life is basically a manifestation of what his system has taught him, you know, like he doesn't really, doesn't really have an individual sense of self yet. He's just reflecting what his, his family system, his community system, his church system, his, whatever his system is, is kind of what he is. So I don't know if you'd kind of thought about you bringing your child into the world and what that means in terms of either challenging or accepting, embracing, or even sort of changing some of the systems we have and what that means to you as a parent. Oh, I definitely have. (laughs) Um, And I think there's, again, a multitude of ways to look at it, but definitely two ways. One is you know, what the heck am I doing bringing a kid into this, like not, let alone the challenges of us humans and our value systems and what we want our society to look like, but like climate change and Mm -hmm. the scariness of the, you know, what, what will earth even be in like a hundred, you know what I mean? So, so for sure, I think that there's an illogical, innately human biological thing happening here impacting my, my choices, you know, um, which is kind of crazy, but I think, you know, real. Um, and the flip side of that, you know, what I look at is kind of exactly what you said. I mean, it's pretty amazing in, in a positive way, I think, for me to bring someone into this world and share the values that I hold dear about inclusivity, about diversity, about wanting this child to travel the world, have different experiences, not be insular. And of course, those are my values, but within that provide opportunities to learn through reading, through experience in real life, and hopefully being making educated decisions based on that. And, having a, a, a wider view and, and an empathy for lots of different types of people that inform his, it's a boy, yeah. worldview and, and you know, contribute to him being a great person and, and therefore contribute to his community and society in whatever way. So that's my positive view on it. Like that's the kind of person I want to bring into this world um, to hopefully continue to you know, all of us continue to learn and grow forward and, you know, in a a better way, frankly. Well, you know, a (laughs) lot of the vision for our kids, our hopes and dreams for the people that are in our inner circle or communities, a lot of it, at least for me, and I think most people, it does really begin with someone you looked up to growing up, you know, someone that you really sort of learned your values from, like for me, you know, it was, it was my dad, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I talk a ton about my dad and, and he was a very big part of my sort of 
value setting, so to speak, and, you know, almost like a superhero in my mind. So, you know, now with you becoming a parent and also you being a great professional and, you know, listen, I saw, and it always encourages me when I see your Instagram post, you guys were out at the marsh this weekend. I mean, you live your word. So I'm curious about someone that inspired you as a young person or someone that you looked up to and what their value sort of meant to you and how it shaped who you are today. Yeah, I mean, I think for me in a similar way, so my dad passed away when I was a baby. So I don't have uh, recollections of him, but like other than like pictures and stuff. And so, and I think, you know, you'll see a theme here. My mom was my superhero. To be honest, I don't, I don't know. It sounds like you recognized it early on. I think I learned to understand and respect that later on, to be honest. Um, but my mom, you know, was a, a widow running and I grew up on a farm, a big farm in rural South Jersey. And I was the fourth kid, youngest by quite a bit. Um, and so she had a lot going on. Her husband died young at 42, she had a baby a farm to run that was our family business and four kids one of which was a baby so I obviously took in a lot from her you know how anyone would right that's just life your experiences shape you and she did all that and I never wanted for anything I was very involved in athletics my whole family a lot of what I think I was shaped by is just our athletics and always at, from a soccer tournament to a tennis tournament somehow and I even asked her recently she was she would be driving me I'm like how are you doing that with the farm with everything else so that definitely impacted me and gave me a, certainly some innate belief that I can do anything as a woman making this choice to be a single mother by choice is doesn't feel uncomfortable to me to be honest probably because I was brought up by a single mother um mm. So for sure that, and then, you know, we always also had exchange students from all over the world staying with us. And my mom had me travel to different parts of the world. So all of that kind of like hard work and, you know, diversity in my life, I in particular had, and I looked up to my siblings as well, as well for sure, just that normal family dynamic. And I had one coach, um, he recently passed actually, Jim Breach. And, um, I grew up in a very pretty racially divided area. I was a little bit insulated because I was just, you know, farmland, but he um, was African-American, half Af black, half Japanese. Um, mm -hmm. And he was basically my surrogate father figure, um, mm -hmm. kind of unspoken, but he took me under his wing, was my coach. We would travel together. He was my one of my brother's like best friend as well, although he was a little older, taught at the high school. So I think I just, and like very much, looked up to him and and again all these kind of ways that I didn't necessarily think about but looking back these were the important figures in my life and he was very involved in the community and took care of tons of kids but certainly was a special part of our family you know we spent like Christmases with him and stuff so so I definitely think those were the figures it was kind of around my family dynamic and you know the, these coaches and in particular um, Jim Breach who you know, that was my little world growing up. And those were, those were my influences for sure. It's, it, 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 isn't it kind of crazy? Like as, you know, a young athlete, 
the difference uh, an involved and caring coach can make, you know, it's, it's yeah. right. It is, it is, it is really an undervalued thing. Like I remember for me, I'm kind of a little similar in that, you know, it's funny you describe growing up in a racially sort of sep- separate or segregated area. Very similar for me, Nikki, in South Side of Chicago. And when I went to high school, I remember the very first day I got there. And I know this will sound fictitious, but it's true. I had never actually had like spent more than an hour or so, like in a conversation with another young white kid. Like I just never did it. And, and I was 13 years old at this point. And my coach, coach John Morrison, uh, you know, was a middle-aged white guy and really took me under my wing. And, and I think what he kind of did for me was like, kind of helped me realize that like, I was unique and that there was something about me that was a little special, you know, like when I didn't necessarily see it, like that was the beauty of his, his mentorship was definitely like all the on the field stuff, which I'm sure Jim reached it with you, but it was much more about helping me see like this much bigger potential that I had. And I always accredit him with enlightening me to like, what I could possibly be in the world, even though a lot of it was quote unquote sports. I think he, he found a way to really give me this confidence where I'm like, I can maybe do some things that are like special and meaningful in the world. And I don't know if it was Jim Breach or anyone else or even any other experience in your life, but I'd, I'd love to know if if you remember a moment or maybe the first time that you know, you, you felt like you had something that was unique and, and maybe special and that gave you the confidence to go out into the world and accomplish a lot of the great things that you've done so far. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I think you're right. When you talk about pushing us out to pushing out into the world a bit more, I mean, he was instrumental. I actually, my junior year of high school went to a tennis academy. Like I moved out of my house and moved to Florida and went to, I guess, essentially like a boarding school in Florida, you know, those academies down there for my junior year of high school. So I would have been like 16, 17. Um, and he, yeah, he was the one that took me um, and we visited a lot of different options and, and he really encouraged me to do that. And I, and I went and did that. It was a, definitely a growing up experience for me exposed to a lot of different things not all of them super positive but definitely good information for me to gather at like that time in my life to make choices for myself but um so yeah I mean I guess that was the first time I kind of moved away from home and you know so I to your point I hadn't really thought about something special but sure that must have made me feel special first of all you know to to just think that like I was even good enough to consider that and then to like be on my own even though that was challenging it was important it was definitely a formative period of my growing up um and then probably informed you know choices I have made since when I was in college and studied abroad and um you know have since lived overseas a couple of times and just kind of was 
you know, I do think it shone a light on just that, how independent I could be. So for sure, um, you know, he and my mom were both really um, big supporters, encouragers even of, you know, sending me out into the world on my own and having those experiences. Mm. Um, and I, you know, so for sure. Well, it's like, you were talking about the tennis camp that you went to and being young and really being uh, alone as you were doing it. And it kind of made me think about something that people ask me all the time. They're like, was there a decision that for me that I think I made or maybe one that was made for me in my case that probably changed the trajectory of my life? And I remember when I was a kid you know, I was a young guy growing up on the south side of Chicago, and I always tell people, whatever you imagine that life looking like, it was a bit of what my life looked like, but I had great parents, and they really provided for us and gave us a lot of safety and assurance, but I had this moment, Nikki, where I was graduating from, uh, we, we call it grammar school in Chicago, but elementary school or eighth grade, and I had a choice of high schools to go to. And there was this high school near me, St. Rita. They were like really well known for their football program. And it's really big schools, a Catholic school. I just was so excited to go. And then my mom's like, nope, we're going to send you away. Kind of what you talked about to like a boarding school, Lake Forest Academy, which I always accredit as being like probably the biggest decision that we made as a family, you know, I went from seeing the world with a very sort of myopic perspective. I went from seeing my potential with pretty low horizons to much higher horizons. I went from, which we talk a lot about, certainly in the multicultural community, um, I learned how to interact with white America, which is fortunately or unfortunately, a critical skill for success being uh, a person of color uh, in profession. So I learned a lot of that. And I also went through some pretty tough times too. I, I kind of, you know, was confronted with, you know, some overt and covert racism and bias, but it really made me stronger. And I think is the defining moment for really the decisions and opportunities that were presented to me in my life. So maybe I'll pose the same question for you. And if it's not a single moment, that's fine too. But if you were to think about a moment or a decision or a combination of decisions or events that you think really represented the turning point from, you know, Nikki 1.0 to Nikki 2.0 and beyond, what would that moment or that decision or set of decisions sound like? It's interesting talking how <laughs> similar <laughs> the things that impacted our life are. And I think it, it gosh, that's why these conversations are so awesome because I, I, thinking back, one of them was also an education choice for me probably. Mm. My, I went to a really small, I was, like I said, I grew up in a really rural area. Um, I had a little brick schoolhouse. They would literally ring the bell and we would walk to school. Like, it doesn't sound real. It, that's really how I grew up. <laughs> in some ways, 
wonderful in a lot of ways, um, you know, quite insular. So anyway, I went to this tiny little public school where like it was a hundred kids K through eight. I mean, they had grades together in classrooms. So it was, you know, and I actually remember my teachers really fondly, but it, it wasn't stretching me. Um, and so for my seventh and eighth grade years, my mom sent me, I mean, it wasn't like, I was still living at home, but a bit farther away actually to a friend's school. Okay, um, and I mean, I do feel like I blossomed a bit there. I think that, and that was pretty young. That was seventh grade and eighth grade. Um, but in the, in my small town, I was just, I don't know, I was just the farm girl, this, I don't know, I just, I think it opened my world. The teachers were just really different. It was definitely more diverse. Um, and I felt, feel like I really thrived there. Like, I remember loving it. Like, that was just a really positive experience for me in that different kind of school environment. So that would have been one of them for sure. Um, and then similar, you know, you know, sports-wise, I had to make a choice. Again, athletics played a big role in, in my growing up and, and in my opportunities, frankly. So going to high school, women's tennis and soccer are both in the fall. Um, I don't even remember if I, I took, I almost feel like, you know, like you said, who knows if we're choosing or our parents are choosing. <laughs> but Anyway, I gave up soccer, which was a very like social thing for me. You know, a lot of girls traveling on the weekends, your community for tennis, which is much more of an individual sport. And I didn't really know the other girls on the team um, just cause it, you know, growing up, you don't play together. I really was probably the only one that played a lot growing up. So anywho, so that choice to, to stick to tennis, which then ended me at, an, you know, um, an academy, which then helped me, you know, with my college options and just traveling around even the U.S. playing tennis with different kids. So I think certainly education and athletic choices um, played, a, played a significant role growing up. I would say professionally, even though I know we're not digging into professional, I do think it's like maybe worth noting, I was thinking about it, for my career in New York in advertising, New York is, you know, a big place with a lot of really smart people and arguably kind of the most competitive advertising city in the world, advertising, marketing, media. And I was doing fine, you know, I thought I was doing fine, but I was feeling a little stuck like a few years or four years, I'm to think like maybe actually five, six, Seven, you know, maybe seven or eight years even into my career, I was just kind of like, you know, in this agency in the middle, like feeling like I wanted more, but not really sure how to get there. And I took an opportunity to go to Australia. Mm. And that would def definitely change my professional, like confidence. And when you say like, realize maybe I had something special or like felt that I had something to add at a different level. It was that experience, and I don't know if it was like big fish, small pond, but I really think it was like the mentor I had there who lifted my head out of the business, saw something in me, gave me an opportunity to work like globally and travel. And, you know, I think, I don't know if I had stayed in New York, if I ever would have broken through or what would have happened, but taking that move and having that kind of leadership in a different 
albeit like smaller market and kind of seeing that I could run a team and add thought leadership. That was a significant breakthrough, I think, for me and my own professional confidence and like what I felt I could go out and get, you know? So that was just another one at, even at a much older age at like 30, not that that's old, but you know. No, I'm, I'm happy you brought that one up. I mean, you and I, we have the fortune of sharing a lot of stories and I, I, that is one that has actually inspired me. You being my friend is you packing up at 30 years old and going, I mean, clearly across the country that there, there is no other, there's no further place you can go. I mean, and so that takes a lot of bravery. Plus it actually represents a lot of risk, right? So I think one of the things that, you know, maybe holds people back and maybe even holds some of us back every day is like the balance of like, risk versus reward and it's not always clear you know what that trip to australia is gonna produce you know in the moment it has all the makings of what feels right feels necessary but there's really no way to sort of forecast what outcomes it will produce but sometimes it's like being willing to fail or at least putting yourself in a position where failure or risk or being uncomfortable is a reality. And that reality really hardens the rock a bit and makes you so much sharper when you come out. So I know in my journey, I've probably experienced lots of failure, which I won't bore this discussion with, uh, but it has become something that I embrace, you know? And you know, I, I feel like I'm certainly not fearless per se, but, I'm certainly not afraid to fail. I mean, I know it's part of the system and it helps you grow. So, you know, something I wanted to pick your brain on is, you know, being successful in your career, you know, being successful in your relationships. Um, and also, listen, even though I've never gotten a chance to see Nikki Deku play tennis, I really want to, because I know you were probably extremely successful in sports too. Have you ever failed? You know, has there ever been a moment when, you felt like, according to your own standards and ambitions, we're not talking about judgment, just your own headspace, that you felt like, wow, maybe this experience wasn't exactly what I hoped for, but that experience may have influenced a lot of the success or decisions you've made after that failure. You know, I love to hear about a moment or experiences that you've had that you know, maybe weren't all rosy, but really shaped who you are today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, failure is an interesting one. People, you know, especially in business, fail fast, fail forward. Um, I feel like I probably look at the word failure maybe a little bit more specifically, like if, if you're, because if you're saying, if it is kind of a negative thing. To me, when I think back to when I have failed, like from a young age, it's when I have felt kind of embarrassed about my output or like how I was representing myself. You know, it's not failure if like, to me at least, like I failed a lot in business, right? I <laughs> do business, we don't win all the time. So, so 
And, but I think one of the earliest memories for me of failure that definitely, I, and again, this is all looking back, which is really interesting and kind of like assessing it now, would have been like, I don't know if I was in, it could have been third grade, fifth grade, I don't even remember, but I was in a ballet class, which mm. was not my favorite, <laughs> shocker. Um, but I was in it because I wanted to take jazz. You had to do both. Anywho, I was in this ballet class and there were auditions for like the lead role, you know, again, for young kids. So um, certainly ballet is not something I was exceptionally talented at, but I was a confident young kid and I wanted to audition for the, for the lead role, but I did nothing, you know, I just kind of signed up, I think, or whatever the process was. And then, you know, weeks later, you know, you're supposed to basically choreograph your, your thing and then you go and, and you show up and you do your few minute audition. Well, I, I, I didn't prepare at all, basically. It was in, in the nutshell. And mm. I told my mom, like, I'm just not gonna go. Not, and she was not having it. So essentially she, I, she put her foot down and, and I had committed to this the audition I hadn't prepared and she made me go anyway. Mm. And I still to this day, just remember how mortified I was. Like I had nothing. I went up on this stage and like, I don't even know what I did. I twirled around, but I knew I was just so embarrassed. Like I was so, it just wasn't good. What I did was not, none of any of it was good and it looked terrible. Mm. And of course I didn't get it, which like wasn't even the point. Like I probably didn't, you know, I never expected to. So that is like one of my early memories. You know, I have them in tennis as well, like in high school in a specific match, you know, after homecoming and I didn't want to play in this match. I wanted to go to the homecoming dance, you know, those very typical uh, things. And I showed up the next day and was just kind of disinterested and I was embarrassed and I feel like I embarrassed my family. Like I lost, not that I lost, but the way that I lost, it was just, I did not show up, you know? And so for me, I remember those moments where I just didn't show up in the way that I should have. And, you know, to me, that's embarrassing. And, and, and so those are kind of the failures that I remember. And I, I think probably now what has affected me is I, I, I like to always be prepared, like to mm-hmm. a fall, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'm not as good at, at winging it or not as comfortable because of, because of that, but um, I mean, those are some kind of, you know, definitely adolescent impacts of failure on me. And maybe I feel like I probably have less examples later on because I feel like if I'm prepared and I put my best foot forward, then I guess I don't consider it a failure. Of course, I have failed. I have had presentations where I just don't feel good about them. A couple that really stick in my mind. Um, but they weren't for lack of effort or, or for preparation and so oftentimes it's how I feel but when I ask my colleagues they don't they're like no you were fine you know so so it's more those younger days that I think now I strictly avoid putting myself in those positions (laughs) I love it I love it well with the time we have I want to maybe wrap us up with one a reflection on something you said and then I think maybe a powerful question for you to talk to me about and also hopefully other people that are inspired by your vulnerability in this dialogue. So the first reflection is, um, you know, me recognizing 
the manifestation of your sort of failed experiences and that and working with you and being your friend you and I you will laugh at this but it isn't intended to be a joke it's actually very true you're one of the most prepared people I've ever known and I remember when I first met you I wasn't sure if I liked you or not <laughs> because <laughs> I, I I at the time hadn't matured enough to understand the value of like very rich and intentional preparedness. Like I, I'd gotten, I'd gotten pretty far with just like talent, you know, little pizzazz, a little showmanship, you know, just a little gut instinct. And, and, and I didn't really put a lot into uh, the trait of just like rigorous preparedness. And I remember like working with you and, like really sensing like your attention to detail. But then when I knew I loved you was the payoff in that, right? Like the payoff in, you know, our dialogues with our former clients or, you know, the great times we had on different business trips or personal trips, you know, the little detail, like making sure that, you know, there's Wi-Fi at this hotel, <laughs> you know, like little stuff like that, that like really, really showed up. And it really just made for just, an extremely fulfilling experience and value that I got. And it's really actually heartfelt to, to, to see how that was really kind of born from really failure. Like you really started to shape what I believe as your friend is probably one of the biggest points of distinction for you. I don't think I've ever met anyone that will go into a room more prepared than you and so that is really kind of a sticking point of like, actually, when you don't meet your own expectations early on, if you embrace it and learn from it, you can really start to shape some powerful traits that can grow you and, and drive success. So thanks for sharing that. But the last question I have for you is, you know, as you talk to people that are listening to this and folks that we want to inspire, you know, what is one rule that you'll never break? You know, there's this concept of like, everyone has a cold, you know, whether that's true or not, who knows. But I do think there's a value in like having some really strong ethics and how you approach your work, how you approach your friendships, how you approach, um, you know, any of the deliverables in your personal life. So I don't know. I wanted to ask you if, if you've kind of thought about if it's not a rule, if it's a code or a mantra, or something that you think really kind of guides who Nikki Deku is and the value that you bring in your relationships. I'd, I'd love to hear. Yeah, for sure. And, and I like to think this is true. Um, I think it's maybe a little bit connected to preparedness, maybe not. Um, and I don't know if, if, if this is truly something unique to say, but I do. And I, you know, if you said, you, I, I think it's really that, like, I do what I say and I say what I do. And mm -hmm. if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it on time. And that's in friendships, personal life, professional life. Um, it's just, that's my, I think that's kind of my code. Like that's my integrity. I'm, you know, me, I'm a very direct and open person. Like if I'm going to commit to something, but so uh, yeah, I think for me, it's really, you know what you're going to get because I do what I say and I say what I do. And I, 
I think I'm very consistent on that. I'm sure <laughs> there are friends and colleagues who, you know, could come up with examples. Not so much, but I, I really do think that I try to live by that. And I think even professional or personal relationships and trust matter. And I, I think, I, I hope that the people that I work with and, and you would feel that that's how I, you know, represent myself and that that is part of my success. But I did have one other thought, if you don't mind my sharing. No, go for <laughs> you know, it, I know it's not please. in a great order. One other thing that you had mentioned about risk and reward stuck with me because I think that as much as I'm a prepared and purposeful person, like in my work, in the things that I'm delivering, I do think that what took me to Australia and what has taken me on different journeys from a risk reward perspective is I, I probably do, and maybe less so at this stage in my life, but generally probably tend a little bit more on the risk side of things or people would assess my career that way a little bit at least, mm. is I think that my attitude when I moved to Australia, again at 30, so you know, still pretty young and free, was that nothing is permanent. And I think it also connects back to my view of failure. I was like, you know what, if I go to Australia and two weeks in, I'm lonely and scared and I don't wanna be here, I have the privilege of being able to get on a plane and fly home. Mm. And that is literally the worst possible outcome. So I think in a way of coming from a fortunate place, I was just able to take that risk because you know, you can always make change. Nothing's permanent. If you're really that unhappy, if I, I knew that I could literally just leave that situation and go home to a sibling or a parent or, you know, whatever that may be. And so hopefully that gives people who are, do have that privilege, that comfort of taking that leap. If you think about my worst case scenario is X mm-hmm. and I would go there even in Australia when I was stressed because I did take this like leap even in my career of like leadership, I would always be like, the worst case scenario is I lose my job, which wasn't going to happen, but in your mind, you know, and, and then I have to go home and I have a home to stay in with a parent or a sibling or a friend. And if that's my worst case scenario, take a deep breath and move forward.